Welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, your source of information for living the best years of your life, your way. For more than a decade, host Jim Brogan and his expert guests have come together each week to share important news and advice that can impact the lives and well-being of those who are retired and those nearing retirement. Learn about issues like health and fitness, financial planning, social security benefits, investment advice, and more. And now, here's the host of More Living, Jim Brogan. Good morning, East Tennessee, and welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. You're listening to News Talk 98.7 WOKI, and... You know, of all the things we talk about on this show, and and we try to bring you stuff that's very, very important to help you as you age, but, you know, our health is maybe up at the very top. We've got to take care of ourselves because if we don't have our health, you know, our relationships can't be as meaningful. Uh, The financial plan that we have put in place uh, really cannot have the impact that we want it to have when we don't have good health. And uh, we cover a lot of different things on this show, but September is, there's a couple of things I want to talk about today. Uh, September is National Prostate Health Month, and so I do want to talk about men's prostate health. Uh, We haven't done many shows on that, and I think it's going to be great to talk about the main things that we as men need to be aware of. And then uh, also, this is World Alzheimer Month, and so later in the show, uh, we're going to be privileged to have the, the people from uh, the Pat Summit Foundation uh, coming on to talk about not only Alzheimer's disease, but also the Pat Summit Foundation. So first, we're going to visit with Dr. Wesley White. He's a board-certified urologist. Uh, Dr. White is an assistant professor and the director of laparoscopic and robotic ur- urologic surgery at UT Medical Center. That's a mouthful. Uh, his clinical focus is on urologic oncology which includes both prostate and kidney cancers. Uh, He's also my doctor. So good morning, Dr. White. Welcome to More Living. It's great to have you with us. Dr. White, can you hear me okay? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Ah, there you go. I got you better now. Thank you so much. Dr. White, let's kind of yeah, absolutely. It's great to have you uh, with us. Now, let's, let's dive in. You know, prostate health can be a sensitive subject for a lot of men. You know, many of us don't feel comfortable discussing prostate health or really even think about getting regular exams. So let's start with, you know, just tracking that. I mean, I know one in nine nine men will be diagnosed with prostate cancer during his lifetime. And I know it typically happens when men get into their, I guess, average age diagnosis is maybe in their mid-60s. But what point do we need to really be monitoring our prostate health and how do we go about doing that so you know there's been a lot of controversy about prostate cancer screening if you read in the lay press uh there's there's some controversy on both sides about you know is prostate cancer screening effective and is it worthwhile does it really save men's lives Uh, a lot of that came up around five or six years ago and it really kind of threw the urologic community into a little bit of a flux and we had to do some soul searching about you know, who we were screening and how we were screening them and, you know, whether what we had been doing for 20 or 30 years with use of PSA testing was really benefiting men. So some of the recommendations have kind of evolved and changed, and you may even see some differences in opinion from urologists and primary care physicians and some of their attendant organizations. 
Um, mostly it centers on age. So age is the biggest risk factor for developing prostate cancer. So as a guy reaches around the age of 50 or so, that's when prostate health is going to start becoming um, more of an issue and when symptoms of probably non-cancer-related issues are going to start becoming more front and center for them. The, um, the, the other factor would be family history and ethnicity. You know, African-Americans are at higher attendant risk of prostate cancer. Um, and if there's a family history of prostate cancer, that's going to place the man at risk as well. So often those men who are at more risk will, will screen a little earlier, sometimes as early as 45 with a PSA and an exam, uh, meaning a digital rectal exam. Um, for the average male without any prohibitively high risk factors, most of the organizations now say that the most benefit happens between the ages of 55 and 70. Now, of course, you know, many men will live, you know, well into their 80s and 90s. And so discounting a man from prostate cancer screening just because he's gone from 70 to 71 is, always makes sense. So we use kind of the buzzword shared decision making, which means that either the primary care physician or the urologist will have a conversation with the patient based on their age, their risk factors, their values, and kind of make a good decision about whether prostate cancer screening makes sense for them or not. And, you, you know, when we look at the prostate, Dr. White, you know, there's prostatitis, there's enlarged prostate, and then, of course, there's prostate cancer. I guess those are the three main things that jump out. Can you talk about the differences in those three? Because a lot of men have issues with their prostate but don't have cancer. So can you walk us through that? Yeah, exactly. The um, Yeah, you're exactly right. Those are probably the three most common issues that I see uh, dealing both with cancer and the general urology as well. By far and away, the most common issue is just going to be uh, BPH or benign prostatic hypertrophy or hyperplasia. That's just the that's just the doctor term for you've got an enlarged prostate, and that's a natural prostate. From I mean, that's a natural issue for most men as they age. Um, essentially, the prostate starts to enlarge because the urinary channel runs through the center of the prostate. It tar it starts to cause slowing of the urinary stream, uh, perhaps some hesitancy. Um, I always use the, the, you know, the analogy for UT football. You know, if you go to the, go to Neyland Stadium when they used to have the troughs and you're waiting in line during a commercial break and the person in front of you is taking a long time to go to the bathroom, that's BPH. Um, uh, you know, so it's just, you know, a general decrement in the quality and flow of urination. Prostatitis is more an inflammatory condition of the prostate, which tends to cause more, I almost describe it as arthritis of the prostate. It's kind of always noticeable. It's irritating. It can cause some discomfort, sometimes some flare-ups and pain that have to be treated with non-steroidals and rest. And then, of course, prostate cancer. The majority of men with prostate cancer don't really have any symptoms at all. And if they do have symptoms, it's often related to enlargement of their prostate or prostatitis or other issues. It's very rare when a man presents to my office solely with prostate cancer-driven symptoms. Um, so, you know, for most men, what will drive them to come to a urologist is BPH. Um, the PSA screening does a very adequate job uh, of detecting prostate cancer, uh, kind of mixed into all these other types of issues. Now, you know, you, the, uh, w regarding the PSA, you know, there's been some controversy on the accuracy or really the is it a leading indicator of any kind of prostate disease, I guess. So talk to us a little bit about that, tracking our PSA. How accurate is that at giving us a true or good picture of our overall prostate health? 
So the, fir- the first thing is, you know, pr- PSA stands for prostate-specific antigen, all right? It does not mean prostate cancer-specific antigen. So it's not exclusively a test for prostate cancer. What happens is there is a substance that is produced within the prostate, and as some of the prostate cells naturally become disrupted, that substance leaks into your bloodstream, and that's the blood test that we do for PSA. Now, certain conditions will cause the PSA to be higher than perhaps the textbooks say is normal. Um, the most common is just enlargement of the prostate. If you have a larger prostate with more cells, the PSA tends to go up. Likewise, aging, as men get older, the integrity of the prostate tissue isn't as good, and you'll likewise have a little bit of an elevated PSA. Prostatitis it's an inflammatory condition, will really aggravate the prostate. And you tend to see these kind of sweeping spikes and ebbs and flows of the PSA, which really kind of throw both patients and urologists a little bit into a frenzy. And then with prostate cancer, of course, those cancer cells tend to turn over more numerously and more quickly than normal cells do, so you see a rise in the PSA. So, you know, there's many ways that you can interpret the PSA. Of course, most men will go to their primary care physician's get baseline PSA testing. The classic, you know, discussion is, is your PSA greater than four? And that will often be the trigger point for many primary care physicians to refer to a urologist. But, you know, as importantly, men with prostate cancer may have a PSA less than four, or it may go above or below four. And so you can't exclusively use that. I'm a big fan of placing the PSA in context over time. You know, if a man has a PSA of 1.5 1.5 and no one really thinks that much about it being abnormal but then the next year it's 2.5 and then 3.5 that change over time is bothersome to me and so even though it's not technically considered abnormal it's abnormal to me and it bears further investigation we're visiting with dr wesley i'm sorry dr white we, we are going to get to our break when we're we're visiting with dr wesley white he's a urologist over at university urology and this is urologic health month and when we come back i want to get into you know with all these testosterone treatment places that have been popping up over the last 10 years you know does that have an issue what does that do or not do how is it controversial in terms of its contribution or not to prostate cancer. So stay with us. And then later in the show, we're going to have the Pat Summit Foundation on to talk about Alzheimer's awareness. So please stay with us as you listen to More Living with Jim Brogan, only on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Listening to More Living with Jim Brogan. During the week, Jim is a financial advisor, an author, and speaker with an MBA from the University of Tennessee who specializes in helping people in or near retirement plan for the next phase of their lives. You can reach Brogan Financial during the week at 865 862 6800 or on the web at broganfinancial.com. And now, here's Senior Market Advisor Magazine's 2011 National Advisor of the Year and host of More Living, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. 
I'm your host, Jim Brogan, and September is National Prostate Health Month, and we're visiting with Dr. Wesley White. He is with University Urology. Uh, he's also, uh, his clinical focus is on urologic oncology, which includes prostate and kidney cancers. And we're just talking about general prostate health stuff. And I guess there at the end of the segment, Dr. White, I guess the main thing I heard there is the PSA can be a pretty good leading indicator if it's tracked regularly and then, you know, to see trends and, and how he's evolving. Jim, that's right. It's uh, There's a little bit of an art form to tracking PSA testing. Obviously, one isolated really bad value is going to tell you an awful lot. Um, but uh, for most men over the course of time, it's going to be tracking that value, looking for trends, and then making kind of an informed judgment based on experience of the urologist. Dr. White, in terms of causes of prostate cancer, you know, there's been a lot of controversy over hormone supplementation in men. And that's become very, very popular over the last 10 years with all these T-centers to do testosterone supplementation, um, which then can also boost estrogen levels in men. Talk to us a little bit. Is there a cause and effect there? What does the science say? What is your opinion? When you see more prostate cancer incidences in younger men, do you see a pattern there? So this is uh, this, that's an excellent question, Jim. What we think right now, what the literature and the best scientific evidence says, is that testosterone supplementation does not cause prostate cancer. Now, if a man is not being regularly screened for prostate cancer while taking testosterone supplementation, then you know there is a little bit of a controversy about are you throwing gasoline on the fire? Prostate cancer is very sensitive to testosterone. Most of what we understand about prostate cancer is actually, you know, removal of testosterone from the patient's body will actually cause prostate cancer to regress. Um, you know, we don't know whether testosterone supplementation in the setting of known prostate cancer is necessarily going to, you know, cause widespread disease uh, or things along those lines. But, you know, for most men who really need testosterone supplementation, um, then I don't really worry about it causing the prostate cancer Mostly what I'm concerned about is that they are seen at least every six months. They have a PSA done. They have an exam done by somebody that's qualified so that we know that it's still safe to use testosterone supplementation. Well, that makes perfect sense. If you're doing that, you know, extra things to your body, you need to be tracking very, very, very closely. In your experience, do some of these T-centers, do they help the patient with that, or does the patient have to then go to their primary care doctor or urologist to do that? Um, I, I think it kind of depends on the purview of the T-Center. You know, I, I, I don't want to speak um, in generalities about, you know, some of the, the T-Centers that are out there. Uh, you know, th there's obviously some mixed motivations when a man goes to a T-Center. You know, they are interested in providing testosterone supplementation and other hormonal supplements. They're interested in protect, perhaps selling product. Um, and some of them are perhaps interested in helping the man as well. But you have to be really objective in what you can achieve with testosterone supplementation. There's some real pros and cons. You know, there are many reasons why men don't feel like they're 18 anymore, and primarily it's because they're not 18 anymore. And there's not really a secret sauce out there, and testosterone is not always that secret sauce. And so to yeah, make the assumption that you can you know, take testosterone and it'll make it all better is, is a little bit of a stretch. You just have to be careful with the messaging and making sure that it's being done safe and for the right way. Yeah, I guess we all want that fountain of youth, right? We all want to, in our 50s, want to feel like we did in our 20s, right? 
Hey, nine, Dr. White, according to the numbers that I've seen, nine out of ten men who are diagnosed early with prostate cancer could go on to live a healthy life after proper treatment. What are the main treatment protocols? You know, we hear about radiation, there's removal, I guess proton therapy. We've got a huge proton therapy center here in Knoxville. What are the typical therapies? What are the differences? And what leads to one solution versus another for a man? Sure. So the most important thing about a prostate cancer diagnosis is um, the age of the patient, their overall health, and then how aggressive is the cancer by its very nature? What is the personality of that person's specific prostate cancer? Um, many people are familiar with the adage, oh, prostate cancer won't kill you. You'll die of something else or you'll die with it. And that's true to a point. You know, there are some men who are diagnosed with very low-risk prostate cancers that could take 5, 10, even 20 years to become clinically meaningful. And if a patient is in his 80s when he's diagnosed, then that really will not have a significant impact on his longevity. But treatment could have a significant impact on his quality of life. And so you have to make some informed decisions about whether a patient should just be watched or whether intervention is needed. Now, that's a very different scenario than, say, maybe the 51-year-old that's diagnosed with low-risk prostate cancer who maybe has a 30- or 40-year life expectancy. You know, that, that's a totally different set of issues where you have to watch that patient very closely, even though the cancer may appear exactly the same under the microscope. If a man has a more aggressive form of prostate cancer where we're concerned about progression within a year or three or five years, then, you, again, you place it in the context of the patient's age and overall health, but then typically treatment is necessary. Um, and you're right, if treatment is afforded at an early stage, then the chances of, of cure are going to be that much better. The main forms of treatment these days are broadly radiation therapy and surgery. Um, now, surgery primarily is done through small incisions robotically. That's the vast majority in the United States are done that way. Radiation therapy is kind of a catch-all term for any form of radiation treatment, whether it's traditional radiation, which we call photon therapy, the more heavily advertised proton therapy, and then sometimes even having radioactive seed pellets placed into the prostate. There are some other more uh, trendy forms of uh, treatment for prostate cancer, including high-intensity focused ultrasound and uh, even laser ablation therapy. But these are all not quite yet FDA-approved universally and are still, I would say, maybe a little bit more investigational in the United States. So really what I'm hearing there, Dr. White, is every patient treatment pro every patient's treatment protocol could really be completely different so we have to be careful as men that we don't just assume what was good for you know our neighbor or our family member is necessarily the the the, the route we would go right absolutely you know i i will sit down and i will go over guidelines with patients that talk about you know perhaps some, one form of treatment is preferred uh, but there are other options and a lot of times it just boils down to what is the patient the most comfortable with? What works best for their lifestyle? What do we feel like is going to have the most significant impact on their longevity, but also their quality of life? And then, you know, patients will sometimes come in with a preconceived notion. My goal is always to be as objective as possible, even though I'm a surgeon. If the patient feels like he needs to go see a radiation oncologist or the proton center for evaluation, that's great. I'm their quarterback through this whole process. And whether I keep the ball or I hand it off, 
ultimately, if the patient wins, everybody wins. Absolutely. Finally, my last question, Dr. White, would be about prevention. What can we be doing with, with diet, with exercise? Are there supplements that we should be taking to improve prostate health? What are some general things we can be doing uh, to, to keep our prostate healthy? Well, so, you know, a, a lot of prostate health issues, whether it's just enlargement or cancer, a lot of this is just genetically driven. You know, you, you're just going to be destined to have an enlarged prostate because maybe your dad did, or you may be at prohibitively high risk for prostate cancer because there's a strong family history um, of prostate cancer. There's not really any magic, you know, again, secret sauce for prostate cancer health and prevention. There's tons of supplements out there. It's heavily advertised. Men are kind of concerned about it. They don't always want to go to their doctor, and so they'll order things off the Internet or they'll see, you know, a former football player advertising it. You know, you have to be kind of buyer beware there. Those supplements can sometimes be a little unregulated, um, and you don't always know what you're getting. I tell my patients, look, I don't think that anything is going to be unhealthy for you to take, but you just have to be careful that you may just be spending your money on something that's not necessarily beneficial. The most important thing I tell men about nutrition and supplements is that a man is still statistically more likely to die of heart disease in the United States than they are to die of prostate cancer. So if you're leading a heart-healthy diet, you're leading a prostate cancer-healthy diet. So, you know, just being a, you know, leading a heart-healthy diet, exercise, weight control, you know, good, you know, just basically good preventative care, it's probably going to do more for your longevity and your overall sense of vitality than anything that I'm going to recommend or that a supplement's going to provide. I think that's a great word. Dr. White, uh, you're over there with University Urology at the University of Tennessee. How can people find out more about University Urology? Uh, certainly, you can go to the UT Medical Center website and look us up uh, for urology. And then, obviously, we have uh, um, uh, urologypc.net, which is our website. And uh, you can also just put you know, University Urology into your Google browser, and you'll be able to uh, find and get a hold of us if you need to. Dr. White, uh, thank you so much for being with us to this morning. Of course, you're the Director of Laparoscopic and Robotic Urologic Surgery at UT Medical Center. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. Thanks, Jim. Good to talk to you. Absolutely. Great talk with you as well. That's Dr. Wesley White. As we uh, have been talking about National Prostate Health Month, now when we come back, this is also World Alzheimer Month. And so we're privileged to have Joan Cronin, former athletic director at the University of Tennessee, someone I've known a long time, great lady. She's also chairman of the Pat Summit Foundation. We're going to talk to her about the Pat Summit Foundation about Alzheimer's. We'll also have our dollars and cents segment. How is our debt and our deficit spending for the pandemic actually affecting our federal budget? You might be surprised to learn the answer. So stay with us as you listen to More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI.
weekly radio show, television news appearances, and adult education classes taught at the University of Tennessee and Pellissippi State Community College. Jim taps into his extensive knowledge and experience to address issues important to living your best retirement. Join Jim every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. here on Newstalk 98.7 WOKI and visit him online at broganfinancial.com. And now, here's the host of More Living, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. This is News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Uh, I thought some of that information on prostate health from Dr. Wesley White was absolutely great for you men out there. Um, I think it's, you know, kind of what I'm hearing. It's like anything else. We just need to stay on top of our health and take it very seriously and get regular checkups, especially as we age. Uh, now, this is also um, National Alzheimer's Awareness Month. And so in a moment, we're going to speak with the Pat Summit Foundation about what's going on over there. Uh, before we do get to the Pat Summit Foundation, however, it is time for dollars and cents. Want to be sure you are getting the most out of your retirement? For all the years of your retirement? That's the primary goal of More Living with Jim Brogan and our Dollars and Cents segment, where we provide you with an important financial tip that will help positively impact the quality of your life in retirement. And now, here's Jim with this week's Dollars and Cents tip. How is our federal deficit spending for the pandemic affecting our federal budget? You might be surprised to know the answer. The U.S. government is paying less as it borrows more, which is one reason investors appear to be more comfortable than Congress does about funding another leg of economic stimulus. So think about where interest rates are. They've dropped to historic lows. So interest payments in the federal budget declined about 10% in the first 11 months of this fiscal year as America was running up its biggest deficit since World War II. So over the next few years, servicing the national debt, while our debt is getting higher and higher, and you've heard me say on this show, in the second quarter alone, we had a deficit of $3 trillion. But servicing the national debt will be cheaper than any time in the past half century when measured against the size of the economy, according to the Congressional Budget Office. And that's because yields in the, in the U.S. Treasury market have plunged to record lows early in the pandemic, and they've only risen slightly since then, even though the supply of debt has surged to a new record. And then we also have to consider who's, who's buying a lot of these bonds, our, when, our, when, our, when our government borrows money, they issue debt, right? They issue treasuries. And who is, who are, who's purchasing all that? Well, to a large extent, it's the Federal Reserve. So, you know, the Federal Reserve is, it has shown that they're willing to do whatever is necessary to prop up the U.S. economy. And so I think one thing we've learned over the last six months is the stock market has rebounded from the lows in the crisis in March, in spite of, in some cases, horrific economic news, is don't ever bet against the Federal Reserve. And with the stock market, we want to take a long-term, we always want to have a long-term focus. In the short term, anything can happen. Uh, well, Philippe Villaroel, who's a portfolio manager at 24 Asset Management in London, 
has said that the U.S. debt's affordability is quite okay, and it's not stretched by any means. And he says we also need to look at what the perceived use of the money is uh, for the money that the government is borrowing, which is now widely accepted as necessary. So, you know, I think there's a couple lessons here. Um, one is don't overreact to what is going on currently. You know, this is a current level of debt spending that we haven't seen since World War II. I think there are some analogies here between what the Congress and the Federal Reserve is trying to do and what was necessary at the end of World War II to fund the war. I mean, we're in a global pandemic, and we need to get through that economically. Now, please don't misunderstand me. There is a long-term implication of this borrowing. So, you know, the Fed is greasing the system to make sure the financial markets are functioning well. But at some point in time, the world will look different, and all of a sudden we're going to be stuck with a huge bill. So I think that we've got to be aware, okay, what are the long-term implications? And to me, that's when we invest in the markets, that's what our focus should be. It's not what happens right before, right after a presidential election. It's not what happens in the next three months in the stock market with the economic recovery and the pandemic. It's not does the economy recover in a year or in three years. When we invest in the market, in the stock market, it should be with at least a five-year view or longer. And the longer-term implication of both the debt spending and the Federal Reserve policy is potentially problematic in terms of our long-term economic growth in the United States. So your financial plan has simply got to account for this, and it needs to evolve over time with the implications of what might be stagnant economic growth three, four, five years from now, as well as uh, risks of inflation with the Federal Reserve policy. So be sure your financial plan provides for stability of income in the short term that's not tied to the stock market and provides long-term diversification to take advantage of opportunities that may be presented by some of these economic scenarios. That's our Dollars and Cents segment for this week. You can find this week's Dollars and Cents segment and others by visiting BroganFinancial.com. Do check us out online at BroganFinancial.com. My next class, Financial Survival for Retirement, is on September the 15th. That's this Tuesday, the 15th and 22nd. It's a two-part class at the University of Tennessee's Adult Education Center downtown. Uh, you can attend in person. Uh, we are using CDC and Knox County guidelines for health with distancing, masks, cleanliness. You may also, if you're more comfortable, you may attend virtually via Zoom. Uh, if you want more information, go to financialsurvivalforretirement.com. You can also call the University of Tennessee at 974-0150. Uh, always feel free to check us out online at broganfinancial.com as we've been putting out a lot of information uh, about the economic realities we're facing and what you can do to still be successful with your retirement plan in these times. Now, I'm going to shift gears. We're going to talk about Alzheimer's and other memory disorders. You know, for those of us who have followed Pat Summit's career, we were devastated to learn of her early onset Alzheimer's diagnosis in 2011. Pat was an integral part 
of not just UT athletics, but it was a much larger thing in the Knoxville community especially. Now, nationally, in terms of women's sports, but such a leader in the Knoxville community, and her legacy on and off the court is really unparalleled. So shortly after her diagnosis, she launched the Pat Summit Foundation, and we are pleased to welcome a longtime friend of mine, Joan Cronin, former UT Athletic Director uh, for Women's Athletics and Chairman of the Pat Summit Foundation. Good morning, Joan, and welcome to More Living. Good morning, Jim. I lo- loved your dollars and cents. I feel so much better. Oh, well, good. I hope so. Um, Joan, uh, uh, worldwide. And for the audience, they need to know that your dad and I work so well together, and it's just so much fun to work with you and appreciate the opportunity to talk about this Pat Summit Foundation this morning. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, your friendship with my dad, Beach, and Virginia, my mom, were was a great, great, great friendship. So thank you for the impact you had on, on their lives and many others over at the university. Uh, Joan, thank worldwide, 50, 50 million people are living with Alzheimer's and other dementias. Uh, Joan, uh, what are some of the misconceptions about memory disorders? Well, you know, it, we're all, the, the, the main thing is there's really not a cure. You know, and that's what we're all concerned about. When Pat was diagnosed, Jim, I will never forget the day. She walked in my office, and we knew Pat was struggling, but we thought it was related to medication and and arthritis and and stress. And she walked in my office, and she said, Joan, I've just been diagnosed with early stages, dementia, Alzheimer's strand. Well, you know, I had never dealt with Alzheimer's till that point. So, you know, my thought was, well, we've got to find a cure immediately. She looked at me and she said, Joan, my goal has always been to make a difference in young women's lives and women's sports. I want to continue to do that, but I also want to make a difference in this disease. That right at the beginning, she said, I want to form a foundation And I want to make it for research and caregivers and to help treat patients better. And so she, as Pat would do, she had, she knew what she wanted. She had a game plan and she and Tyler put into uh, motion the Pat Summit Foundation. And what has been done in these just few years, you know, we worked with UT Hospital and the UT Hospital now has the Pat Summit Clinic, which is one of the leading, not only for research, but also for caregivers and for patient care. And I could not be prouder of what we have done to honor Pat, because she deserved that. And she also taught us how to face the disease day in and day out. Yeah, it, she's just uh, continues to make an impact uh, and, a, and have a legacy well beyond her years um, here on this earth. Uh, Joan, what are some early signs? Uh, I, I know you saw it you in know, Pat. What were some early signs that we, you know of, of memory you know, disorder? Yeah, you know, I, I think that basically you you lose control of your 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 sense of timing. Your, your memory, and, and as we age, as I, I hear that occasionally, you know, some of this is a natural progression, but with the disease, it progresses quicker, 
and it's so important that people admit they're struggling, their families admit they're struggling, and get help to help face it in a better way. And my goal is that we find a cure. And we have Dr. Roberto Fernandez is the director of the center. I've recruited a lot of people in my life, a lot of coaches, a lot of athletes, but one of the recruits that I'm most proud of is Dr. Fernandez, and he heads up the clinic at UT Hospital and the Medical Center, and he is doing a remarkable job of looking at ways that we can help cure this disease and make it so much better for the patient. Absolutely. Joan, one last question I would like to ask you is, you know, when a memory disorder happens, it's devastating to not just the individual, but to the family as well. So how can you support someone who has received a dementia diagnosis? Well, I think think it's caring, taking the time, being with them. I think that's one of the things that I think the clinic, and I have several friends that are patients at the clinic that they feel like the clinic helps them face day-to-day life what is changing and what that can they do to help now one of the things that that pat wanted was in fact the year after she was diagnosed she wanted to continue to coach and we said absolutely yes she had great assistant coaches a great support staff and she wanted people to see that you could still continue to function, and she did that well. Absolutely. Joan Cronin, thank you so much for calling in this morning. When we come back from our break, we're going to have Sonny Biden, who's the Director of Public Relations for the Pat Summit Foundation, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the foundation, how they're growing, how they're impacting lives. So don't go away. This is More Living with Jim Brogan, only on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. for listening to More Living with Jim Brogan. If you miss any of today's show or want to listen to it again, visit broganfinancial.com where you can access the podcast and other educational materials to help you in your journey through retirement. And now, here's Senior Market Advisor Magazine's 2011 National Advisor of the Year and host of More Living, Jim Brogan. Thanks for tuning in this morning to More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. And this is World Alzheimer's Month. And we're visiting with the Pat Summit Foundation, such a great organization and such such an incredible legacy of Pat Summit's life. And uh, we spoke with Joan Cronin, who, of course, is chairman of the Pat Summit Foundation. We now have Sunny Biden with us. She is the director of public relations. Good morning, Sunny. Good morning. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, what is, Sonny, what is the mission of the Pat Summit Foundation? So our mission is to support caregivers to find a cure and to do as much research as we can to fight this disease. Those are all great things. I think uh, supporting caregivers Yes. Is something that I think is just, and Joan talked about that a little bit too, but I think that's so critically important. 
it, it is. This is a disease that not only affects the person going through it, but the entire family. It is truly a journey for the entire family to go through and, and support each other. Yes. Uh, Sonny, for many aging Americans, um, and, and even some of my clients at Brogan Financial, being diagnosed with dementia is one of the scariest prospects that can affect their retirement. And my dad, right. um, Joan mentioned knowing my dad, he was general counsel at the University of Tennessee for 25 years, and he had vascular dementia caused by many strokes. So there's all, all obviously different kinds of dementia. But much of the caregiving does fall on the spouse or adult children. Right. And it's not only a financial burden, but there's that emotional Impact. So talk about resources and support groups for the caregivers. Right. So we, there are many things for the caregivers to do um, to help support their loved one. And, and like you said, you hit the nail on the head. One of the things we see a lot of people go through is the emotional stress of it. And so we encourage them to reach out to the Pat Summit Clinic, which um, is at UT Medical Center. They have wonderful staff. Uh, who are social workers, who can help point them to the, a support group that is closest to them and also talk them through situations where they may need advice um, with the certain things that they are going through, whether it's explaining to their loved one that they can't drive anymore or they need to go in into an assisted living center and having those conversations. Absolutely. Um, now, Sonny, if someone is, I think it's important as our loved ones age that we're really in tune to their mental acuity. It's something mm-hmm. that I really try to be very perceptive of, even with clients that we serve that are retired. Right. What, what should someone do if they suspect that a loved one has some signs of something going on with their, either their memory or they're starting to not appear as sharp? And what's the difference in general aging? versus there really may be an issue. How do we recognize that? Right. So we all age and we all know that we do forget things. Heck, I forget where I park in the grocery store parking uh, lot. Um, you preaching to the choir on that one. Yes. <laughs> aging is a normal sign. Um, but it's most importantly, we've encouraged people to, whether when they're caring for their loved one and they're starting to see signs, um, maybe having conversations if, if they're married, their spouse, and seeing if they're noticing things. The second thing we advise is to maybe start a journal to document those things to where you can go with them to their general doctor's appointment and kind of speak to their doctor and say, we're noticing these things that our loved one is doing. Are, are these normal symptoms of aging or are these things that we should be more concerned about? Absolutely. And, you know, it's kind of funny you were talking about, you know, not remembering where your car was parked. You know, I'm 50. <laughs> I just turned 51, Sonny, and it's it's something. When I was in my 30s, I mean, I could have a conversation with somebody, and I could remember every detail three four weeks later. And now I've noticed that, but, man, I've got to write it down either while it's happening or make notes after the conversation. So, right. you know, but there, there's that natural, hey, is this normal, What's ha- you know, what I'm dealing with, right? Right. No, it, that, that is true. Um, it's more things where we're forgetting where we park in the parking lot. It would be where your loved one or someone who is starting showing signs of dementia was to get in the car and forgot how to drive or forgot their yeah. way to, get, to, to go home. 
or where they were going. It's those are the deeper signs of of memory showing loss. signs of the yes memory loss. Um, Sonny, uh, tell us how can we get more involved in the Pat Summit Foundation? Yes. So if you want to learn ways to get involved, you can visit us at patsummit.org. We, as the rest of nonprofits in the world, have gone to either virtual or canceling events due to COVID. But we do have one event coming up. It's October 4th through the 11th. It's our our virtual Forget Me Not 5K. And you can register and and do it on your own. Get, Get all your shirts and everything. And if you're not a runner, not a problem because... We have a ghost runner option where you still get your T-shirt and still can show your support. Um, but we do have some events uh, going on, so that is a positive. And they Absol- say that exer- exercise is uh, one way to decrease the the symptoms or to 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 prevent Alzheimer's. <laughs> Absolutely, anything we can do to promote our health. Sonny Biden, Director of Public Relations for the Pat Summit Foundation. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Hey, thank you for having me on. Absolutely. This morning we've discovered such great stuff. Dr. Wesley White talked about prostate health as this is Prostate Health Month. And then Joan Cronin and Sonny Biden from the Pat Summit Foundation have been with us as we've discussed your health because greater health provides for more living so you can live the best years of your life your way. Thank you to Chris and to Jill. Have a great weekend. This is More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. The views expressed by Jim Brogan and his guests are not that of Cumulus Media. Any discussion of financial, legal, and tax planning strategies is not intended to be individualized advice and is general in nature. Always consult with your advisor for advice specific to your needs. This program's content does not represent a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment by Jim Brogan or Brogan Financial Incorporated.